the focus of this conversation at the table has always been hospitality, but the intersection of politics, you know, my background as a White House reporter for many years, I didn't get to talk about some of the things, you know, the, the things that mattered the most to me, whether it was family, uh, the, the intersection of the lives that we lead on a regular basis and the things that we give a damn about in our public life, which is frankly uh, how we exercise those values. That in a very big way has come to the fore in this in this crisis, in this moment of crisis, and we're able to connect with people uh, and and try to talk to them. One of the conversations that I'm most grateful to be able to have is the one uh, today with Congresswoman Madeline Dean, who is the representative of Pennsylvania's fourth district. Congresswoman, thank you for spending some time with me at the table. Thanks for inviting me to the table. Let's start with COVID because you've got your constituents. In Pennsylvania, you've got uh, work that uh, legislation you're working on with national impact. Uh, I know that Care uh, Cares is already out. The the new legislation, uh, all of these have uh, these names. Heroes legislation is being worked on right now. Talk to me about the advice for constituents as we near ninety thousand dead, hun- you know, tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands who have been infected. Advice for your constituents and 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 how you hope that people are. Uh, I, I know that, for example, Pennsylvania, you know, is is trying to be a little bit more bullish on uh, reopening. So what what's the advice that you have for people in, in your district and elsewhere who are dealing with this? Well, you know, I represent a part of suburban Philadelphia that was really the epicenter of this crisis when it began, when it was when it first hit. So I represent Montgomery County and Berks County. And just let's take a look at the numbers. And, and uh, they're they're pretty staggering. Um in Pennsylvania overall, uh, we have uh, about 60,000 positive test case uh, people, patients, with 4,200 uh, deaths. In Montgomery County, we have nearly 6,000 positive cases uh, with 587 deaths. And we'll talk a little bit more about that maybe in a moment. Um, in Berks County, almost 200 deaths. So between you know my two counties alone, uh, in the southeastern pocket of, of Pennsylvania, uh, you know, we're talking seven, 800 people have already lost their lives in only eight or nine weeks. Uh, so my message to my constituents is I'm darn proud of you. Proud of you for the sacrifices that you are making. Um, proud that, that you get um, th- that in this time of a pandemic and an economic crisis, we have to do our part. Uh, to protect ourselves, to protect our family members, and to protect our neighbors. We, you know, Jared, it's so strange that in this time of isolation, it just is a powerful reminder of how connected we are. So uh, my, my message is stick with it um, and follow the guidance uh, that Governor Wolf is coming forward with and his administration. I think they have been very coherent and based in science and fact and, and the data and the numbers because it's a very serious Serious event. I know that one of the uh, one of the ways that this has impacted you personally. I know that as a member of Congress, you, you probably don't often want to talk about uh, the, the the impact uh, the, the, that affects you because it's not really about you. It's about the the thousands of people that that uh, live in your district and and decided to to vote for you or against you or however they did and 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 you have to represent them but i know that this has impacted your family can you talk a little bit about i know you've you've talked a little bit about the passing recently of your mother-in-law uh and and just the the way in which covid uh affected someone who 
was was uh, you know obviously sometimes we see these these arguments made on 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 conservative media especially that you know older people uh, you know it it shouldn't we shouldn't be as as upset about it but I, I think about the tragedy of of this uh, of this disease and the way it affects our our uh, mourning process and and you've been very forthcoming about that can you. Uh, as as difficult as it might be, could you explain a little bit about how that has affected your family in the last few weeks? Thank you for asking about um, my dear mother-in-law, Joni, Joan Canan, uh, just an absolute force of a woman, um, so interested in, and smart um, and, and lively, opinionated, uh, wonderful. Uh, she was uh, She died of COVID uh, on May the 3rd, so just a week and a half ago or so now. Uh, she was living in a nursing home in our area, a very small nursing home with very warm, uh, thoughtful, generous care. Uh, but you can imagine we have not seen her, had not seen her prior to her death for weeks in person. Uh, they had shut the nursing home down fairly early. Uh, we did some FaceTime calls with her just as we do FaceTime now with our kids and our grandkids. Uh, but she tested positive for COVID maybe a little more than two weeks ago. Um, and it's just such a sad thing to go through. And so, yes, I do take it personally. I think we were quite lucky and she was quite lucky for the care that she had. Uh, the, the nursing home just has tremendous heroes, frontline folks who are, you know, uh, risking their own lives every single day to take care of our loved ones. And so they were very kind and compassionate. They even moved Joni uh, to a, a room with a window on the patio. So uh, I was able to go over, my husband was able to go over and look in the window to at least connect to her uh, a couple of times uh, in her final days. But you think of how much so many families have lost. Uh, and, and what we worried about, of course, was um, Joan and, and being isolated and feeling alone. Uh, I don't think she felt alone. I, I have some thought in my heart that the people around her really made her know she was uh, being very closely cared for. Uh, but I, it just makes me think of every other family that's going through this. Um, these are lives that are taken from us without the ability to say goodbye, uh, without the ability to mourn. Um, it's tough. I know you've described her as someone who is very politically active. What do you think her message would have been to the people who were saying, oh, you know, these old, these older people, this is not, we shouldn't even be uh, tracking these numbers because, uh, you know, these, this, this is, these are lives that uh, I, 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 I'm having trouble saying it because it's so callous and because you're so raw, I can feel that. And, and I hate saying it, but I have to ask you with as much of a, a pistol as you've described, how do you think she would have responded to some of this nonsense? Uh, that she would have called it that she would have called it nonsense. <laughs> uh, she would have called it what, what it is, uh, a callousness, a disregard for human life. Uh, you know, her life mattered. The, the 84,000 lives that we have lost mattered. You know, there, Jared, there was some conversation in Pennsylvania. I used to be a state representative for six and a half years. And that very thing you're talking about was part of the conversation last week that maybe as we track the data of infection and death, maybe we shouldn't really count nursing home or elderly death in the same way. Uh, you might imagine, uh, and maybe I'm channeling Joan, but that infuriates me. Every life matters. 
I can't imagine. I can't imagine, and uh, but but I'm gonna try to ride the uh, the emotional crest of you channeling your mother-in-law and ask you about the president in Pennsylvania today. He's in Allentown at a uh, at a manufacturing facility. He has chosen to make these public events, whether it's in the Rose Garden or you know, heading to different factories in Arizona. Uh, he went to a mask factory, didn't wear a mask. Now he's in Pennsylvania. He'll be speaking, uh, I think, as you and I are having this conversation, he's speaking today. Uh, what's what's your message for the, uh, what's your response to, to seeing him, the way he's handling this and the way he's deciding to uh, visit your state? I think today's event uh, is uh, a very thinly veiled attempt to campaign, uh, and I, I think it is uh, very sad. Uh, Pennsylvania is struggling with COVID in the economic crisis, and this president is, whether taunting or bullying um, folks to believe or pressure uh, Governor Wolf to try to open up more quickly uh, and more callously. What we know is this president came to office grotesquely unprepared to lead. And we all wanted him to lead, but he hasn't. And so I no longer call on him to lead. I ask him to just get out of the way. Let the scientists tell us, uh, let the experts like Dr. Fauci and others guide us through coronavirus so that we can safely open up uh, our economy. I really believe that the president's denial of this catastrophe delay of this uh, of, of what we need to do, which is the robust testing uh, and deflection, blaming everybody else, has contributed to the number of deaths in this country. Uh, and I think that sadly will be the proven case. Uh, I wish the president would stay home and get out of the way so that we can safely honor the sacrifice uh, of all of us who were doing the right thing in social distancing, honor the loss of lives across this country and not either campaign callously uh, or reopen uh, only to have greater loss of life. You know, I, I think about some of the, um, the requirements, the security requirements, et cetera, of moving uh, infrastructure requirements of moving the president around. It's, it's not insignificant. But I want to ask you about some of your committee work, because obviously you sit on the Judiciary Committee. This is where, on the House side, impeachment proceedings uh, initiated, and you were very vocal about that, what seems like 10,000 years ago, but really just a few months ago. Uh, it, th will there be oversight? Two questions, really. Will there be oversight in advance of the election, of the president's handling of this? And maybe the, the, the harder question, this administration has shown resistance isn't even the right word. Stonewalling will not cooperate and doesn't acknowledge as legitimate any oversight from Democrats, and, and obviously the majority in the House of Representatives where you serve. How do you get around that? Because uh, up till now, there's there's been no there's been no movement. Uh, I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. And look where we are. I'm I'm down in D.C. right now, preparing for a vote tomorrow. Uh, part of the vote will be on this Heroes package, this fifth bill. But the other vote that we'll be taking will be to allow us to work to vote by proxy and also to do committee work, important committee work. Uh, of oversight of hearings of marking up legislation. Uh, so uh, I'm eager to vote for us to be able to do that. 
I serve on both judiciary and financial services. Both committees have important roles uh, of oversight. You did watch the public watched last year as the president and his administration um, absurdly uh, denied our oversight responsibility. Uh, and I guess what, what we didn't know or what our framers, our wise framers didn't know was uh, that, they, that the president and his stonewalling would surround himself with such people as Attorney General Barr, uh, who has only proven to be a puppet of the president and a political one at that, um, didn't realize that we'd have a, a complicit Republican leadership in the Senate who would not hold the, the president accountable for oversight. So the, the long and the short of it is, yes, we're going to continue our oversight. In judiciary, for example, we were supposed to, we had a, an agreement that Attorney General Barr would come before us on March the 31st. That was pre-pandemic. Um, so uh, they, the committee is again in conversations with Attorney General Barr. And I have to tell you, sure, I'd like him to come before us, uh, but he has lost all credibility with me and with the American public as he lied to the public over and over again, as he now tries to dismiss cases against people who have pled guilty. I was going to ask you what you thought about Mike Flynn, Michael Flynn, but obviously you've you've <laughs> already said you know, this is uh, this is not a we, this administration's continued ability to uh, it's shock without surprise. I'm not surprised yeah. because they continue a, a very obvious pattern, but I'm consistently shocked because this is new and untrod ground. It's true. That's a good way of expressing it. I'm having a hard time figuring out what the right emotional expression is. The president, and this is pre-pandemic, pre almost pre-impeachment, walked in the door, campaigned, in fact, um, shredding all norms uh, and, and shredding relationships, uh, sowing division. Uh, and then you layer into that the wrongdoing that was revealed in the Mueller investigation, the wrongdoing that was revealed that led to his ultimate impeachment. He's shredding institutions. He's shredding norms. He cares nothing for the rule of law. And he has put people in place um, who have the same vapid sense of right and wrong. Uh, I'm a, a lawyer by training. I, I sort of say I'm a recovering lawyer. Um, but I'll tell you, as I sat there through impeachment, I think you saw how seriously, how soberly we took uh, that endeavor for the protection of the rule of law and for the protection of the co-equal branches of government. But let's set aside voters who uh, are going to support the president. How do you make the case to Democrats, to independents, to persuadable voters that that Democrats in the House, yourself and others, will actually do something? Because as you've said, they've been able to frustrate, they've been able to find loopholes, they've been able to stonewall. What's going to happen? COVID is, is responsible already for almost 90,000 deaths. There's no end in sight. The administration can just say, we're not going to respond to inquiries from the House side, and the Senate side will essentially dull whatever they're doing. I mean, this is the same thing we saw with impeachment, which is that it's a, a sword. It's very, uh, you know, it rattles well. But it doesn't pierce. And that's the difficulty, I think, that a lot of voters have when they're looking at, you know, between now and November, what can they count on Democrats to actually do to hold this administration accountable? Well, I hope we'll continue to use our subpoena power and bring people in. I think we're going to wind up seeing more and more people who will come forward uh, and want to speak to us. As I said, I sort of discredit 
whether or not Attorney General Barr comes before us. But how about the prosecutors, uh, the 10-year prosecutor who resigned? I have a feeling many of these people um, are, are just serious public servants recognizing uh, the, the extraordinary wrongdoing of this administration and tearing down the rule of law, and they'll want to come before us. Yeah. So in, and two things give me hope. One is the, the election of, 2000, uh, of 2018. Uh, think of it. If we had not gotten Democrats to be in the majority in the House, there would have been little or no oversight of this president. Nothing. Uh, a Republican majority would have done what the Republican majority in the Senate does, which is turn a blind eye and absolutely not do their job. We in the Democratic majority last year passed more than 400 bills, some important bills, changing the face and the conversation of, of Congress. And so that gives me hope and optimism that we'll continue to muddle through and do whatever oversight we can do. Good people will come forward. I am confident of that, just like the whistleblower and all of the terrific people who came forward just to tell the truth uh, last year. Uh, and then uh, elections matter. Well, let's talk about the next election then, which is you've endorsed uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. This week, uh, Biden, Sanders and others announced a unity team, different uh, areas. How will that energize voters, I guess, is my question. Are, are people going to care about I, when we're talking about, how, you know, tens of thousands dying? How do I get my groceries? Is this a conversation it's it's really it's 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 an unfortunate question, and I apologize for it because on the one hand I'm saying how can people be energized, and on the other hand I'm saying is this just a DC conversation where we're just having something and people just they they won't give a damn until they actually get to uh, September, October, November, and we'll see where we are at that point. I'm talking to my constituents, um, uh, Republicans and Democrats, and people do give a damn. Uh, they recognize the the ex the serious problem that we have. Uh, that we have a president who, who is the most indecent, corrupt president, I say of my lifetime, but I think it could be the history of this government uh, and this painful suffering that our nation is going through with loss of life and loss of health and loss of livelihoods. Um, they certainly will connect it to the rudderless leadership of this president, even if they voted for him. And that's what people say to me. I voted for him. I thought maybe he'd shake things up, but the the contrast now, uh, and it, I, I pray to God uh, this pandemic will end soon. The contrast couldn't be greater. I'm a strong supporter of Vice President Biden. Uh, you saw how every one of those competitors came around him for the good of the nation. And the contrast between, uh, let's face it, they are both two older men, President Trump and uh, former Vice President Biden. The contrast couldn't be starker. You have total indecency, self-serving, uh, um, narcissistic uh, tendencies of this current president, and contrast that with Vice President Biden. You had the chance to see him up close and personal in your work. Uh, you worked with my son there. My son, um, Pat, who was, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Press Wrangler, when you and he spent time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, I know that for for the people who are enjoying this as an audio conversation, it sounded like you shuffled papers on a son as if you were trying to remember who he was. And it, I know that's not what happened, but damn, if it wasn't funny. <laughs> I just, oh, <laughs> let me look up his name. Is it Pat? 
Oh, that's funny. I did move papers on my desk. Um, no, nobody. I've heard of him. Uh, this is Pat. I think he is. Yeah. Pat Canan, uh, as Nana called him, Pat the Perfect. Uh, it don't let it go to his head, and it did. Uh, but you, you, you both worked in that White House, and you saw uh, the decency uh, and the capability uh, and the public service. Uh, that is uh, the heart of Joe Biden. So I'm a very strong supporter. Uh, I'm pleased that um, uh, Bernie and others are coming around him the way they are. And as I say, I think it's a unique uh, unity kind of uh, moment because our country so desperately needs a strong, decent leader. Let me ask you, though, when I talk to some of my friends who are in this circle of people who want to be excited, they want to vote, uh, they want to get rid of this administration, but they're disappointed that it's a lot of old white folks running the Democratic Party, not just Biden, but uh, Speaker of the House Pelosi. We're talking about Senate Minority Leader Schumer. And then there's a lot of people. And and again, I, I think you talked about the distinctions uh, between uh, President Trump and former Vice President Biden. I am by no means equating these two, but real concerns about the accusations levied by Tara Reid, the former Senate staffer, Tara Reid. What's your response to those? Because I know that you take allegations from women in this context very seriously? Oh, I sure do. Uh, thank you for asking me about that. Uh, we have to take allegations of, of any kind of misconduct, but what she has alleged is uh, very, very serious. We have to take them seriously. Uh, and, and there has to be a responsible review. Um, that's the power uh, of, I think, in part, the Me Too movement, but you know, also uh, Violence Against Women Act and other things. We have to make the space for claims uh, of folks, women uh, primarily, to be heard. Uh, in this case, uh, Tara Reid's claims are out there, and she is speaking about them. And she said, for example, she filed um, uh, some sort of a claim back at that time, 1993, I think it was, of harassment um, or some sort of impropriety. And what the vice president has said is, please open uh, the Senate archives uh, and see if there are such claims. He has emphatically denied them. So what I believe is that um, Ms. Reed's claims will be heard, uh, fully investigated, and I know a lot of responsible reporters are doing that. Uh, I appreciate Vice President Biden's saying, please, uh, number one, it didn't happen, but number two, please look for the proof and, and uh, it may or may not be there. I won't get ahead of that story, um, but I, I will say, I think we're at least in a better time where Ms. Reed's claims are heard, that A, she's brought them forward and they are heard. Um, after that, I'll leave it up to the review, and I hope that we will focus on the urgency, the many urgent issues of the day, of this election year. Uh, we have to be united in defeating Donald Trump. Uh, we have to lift up everyone uh, in the face of his intolerance and indecency. So while the claim has an important place, uh, we must also keep a look at the very big picture in front of us as the review goes on. Congresswoman, I have one one last question for you, and it's a it's a lighter one. I promise. Uh, after after that one, it's 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 much lighter. In fact, I've been asking people. 
Um, I've been doing uh, a, a bit of a series on the side where I've been asking people, just checking in with people, because I think it's important to check in with people. It's important to be hospitable. It's important to actually care about the other people that we're that are in our lives. And while you and I aren't aren't great friends, I, I do think that uh, it's important to check in. And I want to ask you, how are you doing? with this. Uh, and, but more importantly, a question that I've asked almost every guest recently, which is, uh, if you're stuck in your house for the next few months, what is the last item of food that you will eat? The thing that you are least looking forward in your pantry, the thing that will keep the longest, but the thing that you are least excited about putting into your body, because I know exactly what it is in my house. But I would like to know what it is for you because we're all stuck wherever we're, we're stuck. And uh, we've probably looked at that pantry, and I'm sure you have. What, 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 are you, what are you least looking forward to eating? Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope the next time we can actually do it at a table and have a meal. Uh, and I want to make sure I mention my two other kids because I don't want Pat to get the only shout out. Uh, and so... <laughs> Uh, let me flip through and see if I can find the name of the other two. Uh, so. <laughs> you have to rustle papers for that too, though, and pretend like you don't know. Harry and Alex and, and uh, my <laughs> grandchildren. Uh, and so how am I doing first? I'm doing very well. Uh, and my husband and I are doing very well. Uh, we have had lives where uh, he's traveled the world, traveled the country all of his, his life, uh, in the bicycle industry. We've had more time together in these last eight weeks than we had in 36 years of marriage. So it's terrific. Uh, and uh, we get to see our kids through Facebook or even drive over to New Jersey and at a distance see Harry and Juliet and, and the grandkids and Alex too. Um, about the pantry, here's the downside of my pantry. My pantry was bad before the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> My refrigerator was in poor shape before a pandemic. Uh, it's only gotten worse. So while you are hearing a lot of people or they've taken up baking and they're doing sourdough bread mm -hmm. and uh, all kinds of complex things, uh, I'm not doing that. I'm thinking about what's in my closet and what do I keep passing up or in the freezer. Um, there is a box of pigs in a blanket in our freezer. <laughs> that I hesitate to throw out because we are in a pandemic, but I know it's old. Uh, so if all else fails and we're out of everything, I'm going to cook up those dry rotted pigs in a black book. <laughs> well, I hope it doesn't come to that. Okay. And more importantly, I hope, uh, I hope the work that you're doing uh, has a little bit of success in the next few weeks. I know that a lot of people are relying on the relief that they're uh, getting from Congress and that while, uh, while many of us are enjoying uh, what I think of as politely as white collar quarantine, it's much harder for a lot of other people. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that question is a lot harder depending on who you ask. So I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, thank you for the time. We do a regular Friday night meatball dinner. We've been doing it virtually, but once we're back to around the actual table, once you're in town, you are absolutely invited, you and your husband both. And you know what? What the hell? Pat, too, if he's in, if he's in town, I know that he's very rarely. Congresswoman Dean, uh, Congresswoman Madeline Dean, who's the Democrat for Pennsylvania's fourth, thank you so much for spending time with me at the table. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jared.